I'm Jeannie Holzbacher, and on behalf of myself and my fabulous co-host, Jill Wright, we want to welcome you to Executive Shine, Conversations That Count. We search the planet to bring you some of the most dynamic leaders in various industries who often only have one thing in common, uncommonly outrageous positive impact on people and businesses. They are leaving this world a much better place. So kick back and join us. Grab a few insights you can immediately apply to leverage your leadership and foster greater connection in a world that's become increasingly disconnected. They so desperately need you to shine your light bright. Cheers. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited about today's show. We have a special guest today, and you know, we highlight people who are really making an impact and making the world a better place. And Sharon is one of those people. So welcome, Sharon Lynn Wyeth, to the show. Thank you, Jill. It's always a pleasure to join you. Well, you have just made such an impact on my life. And you have such skill in the area of human connection. So tell us, you started as a teacher and then you like developed and you learned some of these things. And I want to talk about your books today. Well, I did start as a teacher. I was 20 years old when I started in the classroom. And the funniest thing was on one of the first Fridays, like the third Friday of the, of the school year, um, I would have turned 21. So my bonus question on that Friday's test is, how old is your teacher today's her birthday? I got everything from 30 to 80. And I thought, I thought ninth graders have no clue. You know, it was just funny. But yes, I spent 40 years in education. And over that time, I have taught literally at both colleges, everything from third grade all the way through a four-year university. And often I was teaching during the day and at night at a university. And so I've taught over 6,000 people. Well, we have talked about this. And I think right now there's a lot going on with our young people and through the pandemic, them being very disconnected and, you know, separated from their friends, their teachers, their routine that they're used to. And you did such a good job. One of the things that I think is a really special trait about a teacher is that you have the capacity to see genius within your students and to bring that out within them. So everybody's a genius in some area, Jill. There's seven different ways right now that we identify being a genius and everybody gets there if they're just acknowledged and that we're not all the same. Our schools happen to highlight and accelerate if you're good in math and science. And for some reason, that's more treasured than if you're good in another area. But somebody like Oprah Winfrey is incredibly well-paid and her genius is connecting with people. It has nothing to do with math or science, reading, writing, any of that. It's literally her ability to connect. And I really feel that in our world today, that's the highest level of genius that we can have is knowing how to connect to somebody. And that's why I wrote that book that you're flashing, you know, know the name, know how to connect because it's all in the very first vowel of the first name. And it's like there's six basic communication styles. 
And if you know those six styles, you know what is required because we keep people in our lives as long as we are learning from those people. When we become bored, that's when that person, you know, uh, filtrates out of our life. So in a classroom, it was very easy to connect because obviously the teacher knows more about that subject area than the students. But I always think my students know more about something else than I do. So we're all learning from each other. That's amazing. It's so true. Uh, I just, I, the last week's show, I talked about the, the not having to be the most intelligent person in the room and to assemble a team around you that specialized in all of the different areas so you could learn from them and then you could all learn from each other and become stronger. But talk about that when you acknowledge that innate, unique genius within someone, particularly a young person, you start to build confidence. This works in business, in corporate America, but I think it starts in, in when you're young. And so what would you say to, to parents and teachers? How can they start to learn to do that? Well, they need to get your book, but- <laughs> How That's can the easy they... way. That's the shortcut yeah. is through the book. But I really think it's believing in somebody when you have a when they have a hard time believing in themselves, that you don't give up. When I became an administrator, I remember this conversation very clearly with this parent. Her child was in a lot of difficulties over and over, and I got to know the kid really well because he was constantly being sent to my office. And after a while, I said, you know, you don't have to get in trouble to come see me. I'm going to give you a pass and you just fill in the date and the time when you need to come down here. You don't have to get into trouble first just because you want to come down here. And when I talked to the parent, she was so frustrated with the child. And I said, you get to be the last one that gives up on your kid. And I haven't given up yet. So that means you're, it's not your turn. You know, Absolutely. your child will come around. You've got to believe in them because every person has a purpose and a reason to be here and every person has gifts to share with everybody else and the shortcut is finding those gifts that's why I wrote the book so that you can look at the name and distinguish where the gifts are you know that's just a short easy way of doing it but everybody has value absolutely and I think that's been a key to my success in business is that, you know, through years of working with people, I see the beauty within people. And that's my favorite thing is to help them see it and help them bring it out. And that's something that we share. I know that that really excites you too. And so tell me some stories that that really makes a difference in the lives of these kids. And I know that you have turned the lives around for many, many, many children. So give us an example of like what that looks like. So maybe people can learn some tips and things that they could do with their own kids. Well, there's different things that I've done. Like kids will get rebellious. My favorite age to teach is in those middle school years because they're the most honorary, okay? <laughs> and they're the most rebellious. And when a child gets rebellious in my classroom, I literally will look at them and go, I am so delighted you have this wonderful rebellious spirit. Now we got to learn when to use it and when not. When is it to your advantage and when not? But people who have a rebellious spirit eventually learn good discernment.
And people that don't have a rebellious spirit and they just do what they're told all the time, they don't develop discernment. And I don't understand how you get along in this world if you can't tell what's right and wrong or good from bad or, you know, if you can't play the duality game. I I don't see how you make it in our world right now. You need to have discernment. And so I think by the fact that I'm not bucking against them, but I'm actually complimenting them, you know, I think that helps. The other thing is when kids act up, sometimes they'll act up because they just need attention in the classroom. And I'll literally say, oh, so-and-so needs attention over here. So everybody in the room, would you please turn around and look at this person? Let's give this person all the attention they desire. And then I look at that person. I go, you tell us when you've got enough, but we're all eyes are on you. You know, let's get that attention met. And, and the guys, it doesn't take long at all. And the student goes, okay, 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 I, I'm good, I'm good. You know, leave me alone, look somewhere else. And then I'll say, I'm so glad you decided to do that in my classroom because it gives me the opportunity to share with you how to do this in a positive way instead of a negative way. So every time a child acted up in my room, I would literally say, thank you so much for doing that in here. This presents an opportunity. This looks like the need that is being expressed that you may not even know that that's your need. And let's see how we can get it done in a positive way versus a negative way. So I would literally teach behavior along with teaching the math concepts, you know. And the other thing is, it's positive reinforcement. And some, it's not uncomplimentary or unnecessary. What's the word? Where compliments that aren't deserved. Okay, it's not those because if they're not sincere, everybody can see through that. And then there's not an authenticity or a trust that's developed. But instead, as a student was giving the right answer, I always had them stand up, stand up tall, proud, give us your answer. And then I always would say, if you need a do over, get a do over. But I would literally snap my fingers the entire time they were on the right track. So they knew to keep going. And if my finger stopped, They would know, okay, wait, let me rethink. Or do I want to call on a friend for help? Because they were always able to do that. Because what do we do as adults? We call on our friends for help. So why not learn that trait when you're young? Call on somebody that you think might know the answer. And what the coolest thing is, it would only take till the second or the third week of school every year, where when somebody was standing up and giving an answer, because I wanted them to stand proud and to learn that it's okay to present and it's okay to be wrong. You know, I mean, we all have this need to be right. I think it's a real sickness in our society that everybody has to be right all the time. And I think we learn through our errors. So after a while, the whole, like the second or third week, the class would be snapping their fingers right along with me to say, come on, come on, you got it, you got it. You know, and we're all cheering that student on. And all of a sudden you can hear the whole class go silent if somebody makes a mistake. But that's like, oh, wake up, pause. And I would always say, do you want to do over or do you want to call on a friend? Your choice. You know, so people got over their fear of standing up, their fear of being wrong, their fear of everybody's going to judge me if I can't get this right. You know, so many of our students today are anxious. I mean, I've since I started literally so many years ago, I started teaching in 1974, which is a long time ago now. I didn't see the anxiety that three years ago was my last year in the classroom and the level of anxiety in more than half the students was just phenomenal to me. And it's like, how do you create a safe classroom where they aren't being judged? And that is you celebrate. And that's Jill, what you do so well, you celebrate everybody's successes 
you know, and that's where your focus is. And, and I think if we focus on people, what they're doing correctly, then they'll bring up the tail end themselves. Absolutely. That's always what I've said. If you know, your where your focus energy flows, where focus goes. And so the, if you mentioned judgment, which is also something that's really, I, I think the biggest, I think that is something that is causing a lot of this fear and anxiety with these young people is this fear of judgment, this fear of not being good enough, this fear of not a, not being smart enough, not being worthy, all of these kinds of things that are going on. They're comparing themselves on social media to each other. And, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy, but you and I both really celebrate uniqueness. I think that's because we are unique, but um, (laughs) everybody is in their own way. You just have to look for it. Totally. And it's fantastic that you could create that kind of environment in a classroom, but the same thing works in business. You know, I talk to leaders all the time and I'm just asking when we talked about this on last week's show, when have people say, how come people never quit working for you? You don't have any employee turnover or any of those things. And I say, when is the last time you felt honored, you know, honored and respected for your unique gifts? And you start that early. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so passionate about young people and about building them up because they're our future. They're treasures and they're precious. I mean, it's just like every morning I wake up and I talk to my grandchildren etherically because they don't live near me. You know, it's like, I always say good morning. And I talk with them etheric because I think through the ethers, we're all connecting with each other. And I think kids can feel immediately, they're overly sensitized sometimes because they've had to be such on the defensive that they can feel immediately if you like them or you don't like them. And I just, this comes back to my basic belief that if God created this individual, who am I to say he made a mistake? I don't think he did. Right. So it's, it's my job to look at how can I honor this person? How can I celebrate with them? you know, what they're here to do, what their purpose is. Now, you know, Jill, I came up with this system with the names where I can look at a name and see where somebody's gifts are. But I'll tell you when that really, really hit me. We were taking, I was teaching in San Antonio, Texas, and we were taking a group of students to NASA, okay, over in Houston. And we'd been studying and going across the curriculum and all these things. And now we're going to take them as the reward for doing such a good job for that six weeks. And it was literally less expensive for us to hire, to get four big vans and have each of us teachers drive than it would be to hire a bus. Okay. So we had all these kids in the, in the bus with us or in the van with us. And on the way back, I said, guys, I got up at four o'clock in this four o'clock this morning to drive you guys here. You were all asleep on the bus. We've gone through the whole day. You guys have to help me stay awake as we're driving home. So I want you to take turns up here in this front seat with me always with a seatbelt on and ask me questions, talk to me 
keep me going because it's a four hour drive home. And so the first one was there and the, the child looks at me and she says, what are we going to talk about? And I said, well, tell me what you're good at. And she goes, I don't know. And I thought, you're in eighth grade. You have no clue what you're good at. And then I kind of cheated because I used the name. And I said, well, this is what I've observed. Here's where your gifts are. And here's where you're getting in your own way to, to manifest those gifts and really take advantage of them. Well, a kid in the back was listening. And then when I was done talking about that with this child, the child in the back said, okay, my turn. Can I come up there? It ended up that everybody on the van rotated up through that front seat because they wanted to know what they were good at. And I thought, what's wrong with us that when kids are 13 and 14 years old, that they're still clueless where their gifts are. That's our fault. Yeah. Big time. You know, wow. I love that. And in the same thing, it, it works for young people. Why is it that the parents are not taking, I, I think of my, my people that work with me as my children, cause I didn't have children. And so I really enjoy finding the good within them and helping them see that. And, and when they, when that light bulb turns on, yes, recognize that, wow, someone acknowledged that for me, that is such a magical, and that changes people's lives. Yes. And that's what I call believing in them when they have a hard time believing in themselves. It's like you hold the energy for them until they can do it for themselves. And I think it's so important to help someone see the positive in themselves and to reframe things. It's just like when I hear a kid insult another kid in my classroom, everybody learns right away that is just such a no-no. We just do not do that, not in my room, not anywhere. But I also show the kids, you defend yourself by affirming yourself. You do not attack back then all you're doing is escalating. So let's say for an example that somebody insulted me on what I was wearing and they were saying, oh, you should know better than to wear green when you're gonna be on a screen, you know, and, and look at all the wrinkles in this shirt and, and look at how baggy it is, you know, and somebody insulted me. Instead of insulting them back and escalating the problem, I would simply say, I love the color green. I'm gonna take the insult and I'm gonna turn it around to a positive. And I say, I love this color green because it reminds me of nature and the beauty of nature and how God has just surrounded us with the most glorious surroundings that we can enjoy in this Garden of Eden. And then the, the wrinkles and the bagginess, that's because it's non-restrictive. I can dance, I can reach, I can stretch, I can move, and nothing restricts my movements. I love how loose this is. You know, so any insult that you're given, you turn around and say why that insult was really a positive. And what that does is it literally affirms for self. Because if you let the insult hang, then, for example, in this shirt, every time you go to the closet to put it on, you go, oh, I remember that insult. I'm not wearing that. And pretty mm -hmm. soon it's donated. But instead, you go to the closet and you go, oh, I remember now why I just love wearing this, you know, and you put it on. And so it also teaches the other person that you're trying to make me feel badly and it doesn't work. And so you're going to have to go pick on somebody else, or you're going to have to look at why do you even want to do that in the first place? 
because often they start feeling guilty that here they tried something and it didn't work. It didn't make them feel any better. In fact, it made them feel worse. And you didn't attack back. You were still nice. Right. You know, we're coming up to this summer is my 50th class reunion. I look at that and I go, oh, impossible. How did that happen? (laughs) You know, from from high school. 20. Yeah, I don't with this white hair, whatever. But I look at that and I just go, I go, it's so exciting to see what people have chosen to do with their lives over this long period of time. And none of us feel inside of us any older than 18 when we graduated from high school. Right. It's just the outside appearance looks different and we have a lot more life experiences, but how exciting to see how people have grown and everything. And the best thing is the last time I went is all the people that were different and unique and kind of out of it in high school. Those are the ones that are the shining stars now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I do too. It's like, oh, let's celebrate how you glorified, you know, who you are and what you're doing and what you love to just lead this magnificent life doing exactly that. Exactly. And did you have, when, when you were in school like that, did you have a feeling, how did you connect with all of the, the amazing information that you have? And I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, give like some, some tips for people, how they can connect better with people. How did you, how did you, I'll tell you how I started. Okay. Because in eighth grade, I started this five-year diary and the very first thing I entered into my diary, and this is God's honest truth. I wrote, everybody hates me, but I hate them more. I am better at this than they are. That's literally my very first entry when I was in eighth grade. Okay. And I didn't care if people liked me or not. I was not a happy camper. I was not happy in my house. I was not happy at school. And my aunt came to me and she gave me a book by Dale Carnegie or Carnegie, depending on what part of the country you live in, how you pronounce that. But it was how to win friends and influence people. And she says, you need help read this. Okay. And you know, the most interesting thing was she said that it, the smile on your face, it, the, the book, Dale Carnegie says, the smile on your face is more important than the words that you say, because that welcomes people. Now, honestly, I wrote down smile on top of all of my book covers, on my, you know, placemats, on everything. I wrote smile, 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 because I never smiled. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to make this a habit. So every time I would look at it, I'd go, uh, you know, not a real one, but uh, I'm going to get this on. And how long can I keep it, you know, before I forget? And I have to look down and remind myself to smile again. And so that was the first chapter and the second chapter. And I would master each chapter before I go to the next one. And the second one said, call people by their name. So Jill, I would use your name in a sentence, or I would put it into the conversation because everybody's most pleasant sound to themselves literally is their name. Now, my name is difficult to say. So I always say, if you can't say Sharon correctly, don't say anything at all, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's like, how do you connect? You connect through the name. And at that time, I didn't realize how important the name is and that there are all these secrets that are revealed in names. But I walked, literally, I went through that book and said, I've got to practice each thing. 
So the difference between eighth grade and ninth grade and ninth grade, I was elected to a, to a, a student government, you know, and my whole life started turning around because my aunt had given me one book and said, you need help learn to do this. Makes and a so difference. I look at that and I think as a teacher, if I can be that one person, you know, if I can help that one, that individual see that they have value. Absolutely. Because you don't get it so many places and you've got to learn how to do it for yourself. And, you know, that's what I think heart attacks are. You know, I'm in the middle of writing this book, Know the Name, Know the Health, which will be coming out in September. And when we don't love ourselves, when we have a hard time seeing the goodness in ourselves, that's what causes heart attacks. Yeah. You know, and I remember my dad coming home one day when we were in high school and he was a physician and literally saying at the dinner table, I've never met a patient that had a heart attack that liked themselves, that loved themselves. Wow. And I thought, isn't that sad? It was in high school. And I thought, well, I'm going to learn to love myself, whatever it takes, because I don't choose to have that other experience of the heart attack. I'm choosing to stay in good health. But so much of what happens to us comes from our emotions and how we, how we express them. Now, emotions, Jill, are different than feelings, okay? Feelings come to us and through us, and they bypass. You know, they're kind of going in, and they go back out again. But when emotions get, when feelings get tangled with thoughts, and they get combined, they literally make emotions, and then they go on this mobile strip, and we think about them all the time, and those feelings come up again, you know, the emotion of it, how we've got it stored in ourselves. And then it starts acting on us to say, this is not in your best interest and therefore it causes diseasement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. And they, yeah. they talk a lot about trapped emotions and those dealing with emotions and how to cope and how to process. You've already said such amazing things about how they can stand up, own their power, you know, all of those things to build their confidence. And I think the self-love piece is huge. I, I mean, I really think that's almost the, the reason for, for living. Well, and I think we live literally to undo our childhoods. To explain them and undo them because nobody's parents were good enough. <laughs> Even when you had good ones, we always found fault. And it's literally to get past that. You know, we spend the rest of our life thinking about our childhoods. Yeah, it's so Getting true. past that. It's but so Jill, it starts with vocabulary. Look at your vocabulary. You use positive words. You use intentional words. Okay. Like, like I would start in my classroom when the kids would say, I can't, I go, you're giving your power away. Why are you throwing your power away? And they go, what? And I'd say, if you're saying I can't, you're saying something outside of me is stopping me. And so I can't, I said, own it and say, I choose not to do that, but it's your choice. Be in your power. Right. You know, and different times I would look at my students and I would go, ah, Look at that. Just toss that power away. Don't you want your own power so you don't get upset when you give it away how somebody else uses your power against you? So don't give it away. Look at the vocabulary. And so, Jill, when people are listening to you, it's very positive. 
your choice of words are very positive. You know, it's not like I'm going to try to do this. We either do it or we don't do it. You cannot succeed at trying something, you know, try to pick up a pen. You either do or you don't. So you own it. Right. You know, and so I really feel like it starts with vocabulary saying, which words are we going to use that empower us and which words not to use? Well, and you also brought up something uh, about personal responsibility and teaching them at a young age. I, I, I don't think people are teaching that now. So teaching them that they are responsible and that they can make these different choices and choose the path that they want for their life. And so talk about that a little, because I know you've done a lot with, with kids and teaching them those powerful principles for their own life too. And you do the same thing. I do the same thing in business. You know, well, I think we've learned it the hard way. You know, we learn through life experiences and saying we choose differently. We don't agree with what happened. And instead of blaming somebody else, we've looked at ourselves and said, what of my actions, which of my actions, what uh, did I think, you know, brought this situation to me? Where's my responsibility in it? And responsibility is simply the ability to respond. But to answer your question, I was so fortunate when I was teaching in New Mexico, at a high school there in Roswell, that they get, the principal said, we want to send you to this course to learn how to teach personal and social responsibilities. And then we're going to give you this class of ninth and 10th graders, all of whom have repeated either ninth or 10th grade, all of whom have at least four Fs on their report card. They've all been sent to the principal's office at least 20 times last semester. They, I mean, I, I'm giving you the, the idea of who they're sending to me. And they're saying, can you turn these kids around with the knowledge that you've learned from Connie Dombrowski's personal and social responsibility course? Can you teach this? And I always believe if you know something, you can teach it. You'll figure out a way. So her program is very well laid out. I mean, I think just about anybody who cares could learn how to do this. But anyway, I gave up my conference period and I taught this every day. And I said, these kids live in in in-school suspension. I cannot teach them if they're not in my classroom. So even if they're suspended for something else, they've got to still come to me for this hour. You know, and the ISS teacher probably will say, yay. (laughs) You know, they're not in here this hour. And so... I got to follow this protocol on personal and social responsibility, which by the way is standard now in Washington state schools. I think it ought to be standard across the U S but that's my personal opinion. And I got to teach how to stand up for yourself, how to be responsible, how to respond, how to claim your power. What is an appropriate consequence for Uh, your actions and your choices when you go against the group rules. And we literally started, it took four days. And I said, okay, we're going to make up the rules of this classroom. And the kids were like, what? You're not making them up? And I said, nope, we're going to make them up. And then it took us four days to come up because I had to say, what makes a good rule? Does this meet the criteria for a good rule? And since they chose their rules, then we had to come up with consequences that were appropriate. And then they had to choose their consequences. Did the consequence fit the crime? (laughs) You know, you know, how does it work? And that's how we started. And the funniest thing, Jill, was one day I said, we've got to learn how to express our feelings 
in words so that we're not so frustrated because we can't get these ideas across of how we're feeling. So I put on one full bulletin or one full chalkboard because I had a lot being a math teacher in the classroom and I, we filled it up with feeling words. And one of the words was shit. We feel shitty sometimes, you know, or we feel like shit. And I put that on the board. Well, I didn't have enough time to finish that lesson that day. So we were going to continue the next day. So I left it all on the board. Every period that came in and saw that on the board would come up to me and say, ah, do you know you got a bad word on the board? And I go, which word is bad? Which word is bad? Point it out to me. And they go, you know, that one, that one with the shit. And I said, do you ever feel like that? So how could that be a bad word if that is an expressive word of how your emotions are or what you're feeling? How, what decides if that's a good word or a bad word? Right. You know, what's the decision? So I looked at what was going up on the board and the posters around the room and everything for that class. And I thought all of my classes are benefiting from me teaching that class. But what was the really coolest part, Jill, was that they followed these kids, these ninth and 10th graders that I had taught that particular class that they considered the bottom losers of the school. That's why they came to me. And when they were in 11th and 12th grade, they were the leaders of the school. Yeah. It turned them around. And I think we need to be able to share that with every child going through our schools so that we have empowered the public and it makes better people and it makes happier people. Yeah, it does. And you, that's back to one of my main business principles is to honor them. I mean, if we're going to make a move, if we're going to have rules in the classroom, I'm the guidance, you know, I'm kind of holding the container. But when you engage with the people that are on your team, in your classroom, in your family, whatever it is, to create, to co-create together. Well, then there's ownership. Right. And because uh, whose ideas do you think are the best? Your own. (laughs) Well, and everybody buys in. And I mean, I remember so clearly after my son had gone out with a hammer on a hailstorm before we woke up, he woke up early and he went outside and we get this phone call and it's like six o'clock in the morning from a neighbor. And we're saying, oh, do you need help? What's the problem? And she goes, did you know that your son is out there with a hammer getting the hail off, you know, the ice and everything off your car? And he was so excited that look at how he found this really fast way of breaking through the ice with this hammer. When we traded that car in, the guy said, we have never seen so much hail damage on a car. And I thought, yeah, H-E-L-L damage on my car. (laughs) And we were so mad because that's expensive and he destroyed a car and, uh, you know, and he was so proud of himself for finding this really clever way of getting the ice off the car. And I remember sitting on the stairs with him and thinking I could break this kid or I could honor this kid. What do I want to do? Because his young six-year-old personality is right here. So pleased with himself and I'm, extremely upset. Am I going to take it out on my child or can I simply explain that this was not a wise choice? 
even though he's really pleased and clever that he found a good way of doing it because he didn't look at the other side of the consequences of what it did to the car. Yeah. I just, the dawning of how all it takes is a moment in time and you can destroy somebody's self-image, self-reliance, them being, you know, accepting themselves. It just dawned on me, you know, sitting there on the stairs with my son. Yeah. And I thought, we have the power and how are we going to use it? And our kids are rebelling because they're fighting against us instead of being with us because we haven't been with them. Right. Right. We haven't had that connection. People have let the the television and the computer and the games and all of that all of this busyness they've let all of that raise their children yeah so let me define television for you it's literally if you take the word apart it's tell your eyes a vision that isn't true it's tell a vision to you that isn't true it's made up stuff It's why when my children were eight and nine, I got rid of the television set in our house. Wow. I love that. Talk a little bit about how, how do you, how it just blows my mind. How you, how you figure out all of these little pieces that, that make a difference. Maybe just talk about the vowels or something really simple that the listeners can take with them. Okay, so the first vowel in the first name is the most important letter in your name. That's your communication letter. That's what tells you what kind of gifts somebody likes, what their learning style is, what's needed to make a long-term friendship. That's the first vowel. That's your, that's your way of first connecting, okay? So if it's an A, like in my name, Sharon, or it doesn't have to be the third letter, like in my name, it could be the second letter, like in Sarah, or the first letter, like in Alicia, Okay, it doesn't matter where it's lying as long as it's the first vowel. So if A is the first vowel, these people are very practical. Okay, and they want to do things efficiently. They are your lifelong learners. You know, they're constantly wanting to learn. If you bore them, they're out of there, you know, type of thing. They want to get the work done first and then they'll go play. Okay, so anytime you're talking with somebody with the first vowel of an A, you start right away with what needs to be, what's the goal? What are we going to accomplish? Let's, what's our job in front of us? Okay. And that's how you connect. Okay. You literally connect through work because A's show that they love somebody through helping other people get their work done. That's their way of saying, I love you. Okay. It's not mushy. It's not through words. It's like, if you're emptying the dishwasher and I come help you empty the dishwasher, then I'm saying, I love you because I'm taking my time to help you get your work done. Okay, that is an A. Um, Then we come to the E. The E's are the emotional people that come from the heart. They're the ones that always say, hi, how are you? How are you doing? They're sincerely interested and they've got to connect with the heart first. If you jump in like an A person and say, okay, we've got to get this done and this done, that E person is going to say, what's wrong with me? They didn't even care. They didn't even ask me how I was. And if I got enough sleep last night and all day long, they can't get their work done because they're bothered that you didn't even bother to connect first. So those are the ones I always laugh and say, they start at the water cooler because everybody's got to check out and make sure everybody's okay (laughs) before they all disperse to do their jobs. Okay. So if you're starting with an E person, you always start with, 
hey, how are you? Is everybody in your family okay? How's it going? You know, you always start with the connecting first. And these guys are detectives. One, they have a great sense of humor, but they're detectives in the way they always want to know everybody's backstory, what makes them tick. I always say, if you want a successful party, invite your E friends. Then we come to the letter I. I is all about family. Family is really, really important. And it's a lot of I people will tell me, family's not important and I don't even talk to mine. And I think, but your major lessons are coming from family. You're shutting that off. You're throwing that away. So I always say the good, bad, ugly, and incredible always comes from family for the I. So if I'm going to talk with somebody in the I, I'm first going to talk with how are your relationships going? How are the people, how is your family or the people you consider family? How's it working with you? And you'll notice that a lot of I, just like your jail, starts with relationships and it's very important. It's those connections. Then we come to the O's. I literally call the O's the CEOs. They love to boss everybody around. You know, they just have a great time telling other people what to do. So for an O, I would always say, if you're not willing to do it yourself, don't tell somebody else to do it. (laughs) You know, it's not fair. It's not fair to have somebody do something you're not willing to do. But the O's are our multitaskers. They're the ones that are going to go into a leadership position. If they can't be the top dog, they're going to need autonomy. So when you have somebody around you that has an O vowel as their first vowel, I always say when they're a child, I'd say, you know, when you're going to get to be the leader, are you going to tell people to do it this way? Are you going to want other people to respond this way that you're responding? Is that what you're going to want when you're the leader? Or can you learn now to get along with people so that they're going to want to work for you? Okay. Because O is our assigned leaders. I's like in your name, Jill, are our natural leaders. They're the ones that everybody naturally goes to, but O's are the ones that end up more on top more often. Okay. Then we have the U's. I look at the U's as the entertainers. They're just fascinating people. The way they say things, the way they see things, you know, they keep the rest of us entertained. Okay. They are big picture people, okay? So you don't want to have too many E's and U's on the same team because then they have a lot of fun, but they don't get anything done, (laughs) okay? So, but you want big picture people that can see the overall picture. At the same time, you're going to want other people like your A's and your O's that can figure out the details and know exactly what needs to get done, okay? Now, the A's and E's don't need to be the boss, but they need a competent boss or else they, they'll take over because they can't stand in the incompetency. Okay, and then we have the wise. The wise, if they choose, can be the boss's boss. There's not that many wise, but they'll always distinguish themselves in some way. They're always very unique in some way in their thinking. So if you're putting a team together, you want somebody with a first vowel of a why because they look at the problem differently than everybody else. Now, whys are very sensitive. If you accidentally or on purpose insult a why, they're gracious. They're not going to let you know they've been insulted. They're very, very gracious, but they always get back. They get even, they get revenge. So when the timing is right, they never forget until they've even the score. So I always say, watch your tongue, watch your interaction when you're there with a why. You know, and then again, based on your letters, I love to get little surprises or little gifts for people, you know, and just say it's a, it's a nothing gift. It's like not a birthday, not a holiday, you know, it's a nothing gift, <laughs> you know, just because I was thinking of you. So A's like anything they can learn from 
or that helps them to be more efficient. Okay, they're very practical. That's what A's prefer. E's like anything for their body. Okay, because they're touchy-feely people. So they like good aromas or a massage or nice stuff for their bathtub, you know, so they can sink, they can soak in there and come out smelling beautifully. You know, they're just physical, physical things is what they really enjoy. And so then comes the eye. The eyes always have a list. You don't have to think about what to get an eye. You just say what's on your list. Eyes don't care about how much it costs. They just want the list. Now, let's say there's a calculator on your list. Then if I was buying for an eye and I saw your list had a calculator, I'd say, what size do you want the things? Do you want a tiny one, a big one? Do you want the, the big enough for the, you know, the things where you touch this the same size as your finger? Do you want it small? What color do you want it? I would ask all the questions so I got them exactly what they wanted. And I see that you're laughing, but that's how an eye knows that they're loved because you listened and you got them exactly what they want. They don't want you to be clever. They don't want you to think outside the box. Just get them off their list exactly as they wanted it. Okay, that's an I. So the O's, <laughs> the O's, they love money. Just write them a check. The bigger, the better, because they're going to put all those monies together. They have very expensive taste, and then they're going to buy themselves something really big. Okay, so the O's love money. Even when they say they don't, yes, they do. They just don't want to admit it, but they do. Okay, that's the O. The U's like experiences. Take them to a new play that's coming to town. Treat them to a new restaurant that's there. You know, give them a new experience that they haven't had before. The use like experiences. And the wise, they're the ones that like the handmade gifts because they want something nobody else owns because they're very unique. So that's how to connect and how to buy a gift to say, hey, I love you. I'm thinking of you. Wow. That's amazing. And so you just you're just so full of information it's incredible and so I, that's why I was so excited to be able to have you on the show today and I will make sure that we put all of the information to how to connect with you you also give courses and you you work with executive teams to help them understand these things about how to bring out the best in their teams. And you work with teachers and, and anybody who is wanting to understand really how to be more effective with their teams. You know, it's a nice compliment, Jill, to what you're doing. I think you get in there and put the structure in and then I get in there with the itty bitty details of this is how you do it on an individual basis with each other. This is how you improve the relationships immediately. Yeah. I mean, the, the information that you've shared, I know I've had a reading from you and you've told me about all of the things that are involved in my name. And it's just incredible how that you can find out all of this information just by the letters in your name. Well, it's just patterns. It's just patterns. And now I was a math major in college and I have my master's degree. So my brain is very well trained in patterns, you know? And so all I'm doing is looking at patterns. Anybody can learn it. It took me 15 years to figure out the system, but it only takes me 15 hours to teach it. Or you can teach it to yourself with through one of the books. It's a, that's amazing. Well, I'm, it's so valuable what you're doing. So I just wanted to recognize you for the great work that you're doing. And you gave us so much valuable tips today for parents 
to pay attention to their kids, for teachers, for executives to notice these things and help people. Because my thought is that kind of what I base my business is, the more you build up your people, the better your business is. And so by connecting, you're really able to give them some tips on how to really build relationships, how to build confidence within people. Because when you can help people to build that internal confidence, build that relationship with themselves, learn how to own their power, trust themselves, you know, you give them tasks that are just a little bit outside of their capacity, you know, push them just a little bit, but believe in them. When you've created that kind of an experience with people, they never forget it. You know, well, you I pick think, their life. I think we don't remember who taught us what, but we always remember how we were treated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because if you look back in your schooling, if you look back in your adult life, who taught you a specific concept or an idea or whatnot, we rarely remember that this person taught us exactly this. Okay. However, we always remember how we were treated and how we were spoken to. Yeah. And I think whether they felt like you believed in them, you know, we talked about that last week on the podcast, how important, I think that's one of my biggest business principles is to believe in people, you know, believe in the potential. And once you help people to start really recognizing and owning their uniqueness and not feeling, oh, it's different. I'm different. You know, I like different. Right. Celebrate the difference. The more different you are, the better it is. And when you recognize those things, that's why we people remember you as their favorite teacher for the rest of their life, because you help them believe in themselves. You know, it always almost bothered me when, when I knew that I was close to burnout because many times I've taken a year off, okay? But in that last year before I gave myself a break and then I always came back because I love it. I just, you know, it's just a lot of work. Teachers have a lot of responsibility and work. And during the year when I would realize, oh, I need a break again, you know, and one's coming. Yeah. Yeah. That, and kids would come up and say, you're my favorite teacher. And I think, What's wrong with the system that me at my worst, they still like it better than everybody else that's not burning out. And I'd always think I'm very conscious when I get close to that burnout place to really push through. But at the same time, I'm thinking we've got to help our teachers and appreciate them. And I mean, I had 40 years in education, 29 as a teacher and 11 as an administrator. And I will tell that parents make all the difference. You know, there was a physician that came to me at one of the years. And he said to me that, uh, because I said, we need to talk because your son's only doing half the homework every night. And he came to me and he says, I've told him he only needs to do half of this. And I looked at him and I said, how many years have you been a physician? And he told me, and it was like 13 or something. And I said, does anybody have to tell you how to do your job? And he goes, no. And I said, well, I've been a teacher longer than you've been a physician and nobody needs to tell me how to do my job either. 
So yeah, I've got a paper for you here. And if you sign it and you say you're responsible for your child's math learning this year, then you can give them what homework and have them do it or not do it. Totally up, but you're taking full responsibility. If you want me responsible for how much your son learns, he's got to do it my way. So here's my paper releasing me. Please sign here, releasing me of my responsibility. You're taking over it. And that guy backed off. And the principal called me in two months later. And the principal said, I want to know what you did with this parent. And I said, why? And the principal said, because he bothers every teacher on this campus. He is just horrible to work with, but he doesn't bother you. Why? (laughs) You know, and it's like, let us do our jobs. We're there because we care, because we love your kids, because we know what we're doing. And if you just, as a parent, stay out of our way, and very rare is there exception to this as a teacher, if you just stay out of our way, your kid will be just fine. Right. Absolutely. My niece is about to graduate college. Oh, how exciting. She is going to be a teacher. So what would be, you know, in our last minute here, what would be your advice to her as a teacher? Okay. okay so first of all, I don't add vice to anybody's life. I will make a suggestion. Anyway, I'll make a suggestion. And that is don't think you're there all by yourself. When you need help, go to the other teachers in your department and ask because teachers learn from other teachers. And I became a fabulous teacher because of all the assistance I got from other teachers in my first three years. Incredible. And I kept getting that assistance in different ways. But that first initial three years impact was incredible. Ask for help, but don't ask the administrators. Ask the other teachers in your department. You'll be amazed how quickly you learn all the shortcuts that they've learned over the years. And therefore, it'll save you a lot of time and a lot of energy. Well, thank you so much for everything. I am so excited. We're going to have to do this again. I look forward to. We've got several books we can go through. We can have a different one every time. And your new one that's coming up about health is going to be phenomenal. But um, where can they get in touch with you? I'm going to put it in the show notes, but just give us really in the The easiest way is knowthename.com. And if you don't have something to write it down with, because right now, because you're listening on the road or something and you go, oh, I just got to remember what she said. I need to know the name. You go, oh, yeah, that was it. Know the name. You can tell our teacher. Knowthename.com. Sharon Lynn Wyeth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jill, always my pleasure to converse with you. You are delightful.